Gracious Father, we ask now that you would please help me to speak the truth and to explain your word clearly so that we might all understand what you would say to us and respond in a way which is pleasing to you. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, you might expect today, being our St. Jude's Day, uh, that I would preach the incendiary sermon on the, the letter of Jude. Uh, and since this is also Reformation Sunday, it would be quite a suitable thing to do. But uh, the, the general theme of a day like this is also the, the parish church, the people who've gone before us and the people that we pray for to come after us. And so today I felt it was important to underline the importance of the parish church because that's what we are. It's, it's something that I take some pride in, being the minister of the parish church. And as you know, uh, I have a vision to fill this church with the disciples of Jesus Christ to worship him in spirit and truth. And so I want to take you through four snapshots of God's people at worship. The first of these snapshots takes us 2,500 years ago to Jerusalem after the exile. Now, these were the days after the Jews had returned from their exile in Babylon. The Babylonians had destroyed Israel's temple, but then the Babylonian Empire itself had folded in the face of the Persians. And the Persian king Cyrus had a different policy. He allowed Israel back to their homeland, as he allowed other conquered peoples also back to their homelands, where they built a new temple. The sad thing is, though, that when they re-established their worship, the excitement of being together in worship, uh, it soon went away. And the spirit really went out of their worship. And they, it, as, you, as we read, they were bringing lame animals for sacrifice. And they were saying of the worship, Malachi chapter 1, verse 13, oh, what a burden, they said, and they sniffed at it contemptuously. It's so sad, isn't it? that the worship of the Lord Almighty had become a drag. And this is where Malachi made an unlikely prophecy. Verse 11, My name will be great among the nations, God says. Among the nations, that is. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. His point was that those Israelites back two and a half thousand years ago, they should have been taking their worship seriously because they're worshipping the God who is destined to be worshipped in every place around the globe. Do you see how audacious, even laughable, really, it was for Malachi to make a prophecy like this? Here is a God who can't even seem to keep his own little nation interested in worshipping him and he announces that he's going to be worshipped in every place across the globe even before they knew it was a globe Israel was a small nation to claim that their God would one day be worshipped in every place was astonishing how would the worship of Israel's God be made to spread to every place? Well, Malachi doesn't give really a hint of that. But now let me take you to a second snapshot. Uh, the place is only 50 kilometres north of where the first one happened, 50 k's north of Jerusalem. It's in 
uh, a little town called Sychar, but it's roughly half a millennium later. A woman and a man are talking at a well in the middle of the day. They've traversed across a few topics, water, ethnicity, sex, marriage, until they get to religion and worship. The woman said to Jesus, I can see you're a prophet. So what do you say about the proper place for us to worship? Is it Jerusalem, as the Jews say, or is it in this mountain, Samaria, because you see she was a Samaritan? Well, Jesus explained that a new era was dawning when worship wouldn't be tied to any particular place. Indeed, it would be worship in spirit and in truth. That's the way to worship God, Jesus told her, because he is spirit. And here is what, where Jesus says something that I think is really beautiful. He says in verse 24 that the Father is seeking worshippers to worship him in this way. Do you see what a special moment it is? Here is the Son. He's come from the Father. He knows the mind of the Father. And he announces to this woman, the Father is seeking worshippers. Right now, as we speak, he is seeking people to worship him in spirit and truth. Would you like to be one of them? Because you can. The invitation's open to everyone. Wanted worshippers. Don't you think it is amazing grace that God should want worshippers from among us? I'm sure there would be those who'd say that God only wants worshippers because of his ego, but it's just silly to say that, isn't it? I mean, would your ego be built up by the worship of ants? Uh, I mean, by an adoring crowd of worms. It wouldn't matter if every worm in the universe were bowing down to me in worship. Actually, can worms bow? I'm not sure. But the point is, it would be no ego boost at all, would it? The God who is adored by choirs of angels does not need our worship. But for us to worship him, well, there's no greater honour than that. So it's something very special that the son announced to the father. Sorry, let me start that again. It's something very special that the son announced that the father was seeking people to worship him. And indeed, it was through the work of Jesus that God would accomplish this miracle, that he would come to be worshipped in every place because, you see, the death of Jesus, that he was about to die, would draw all people to himself. Soon after Jesus' death, his disciples were out and about publicly with great courage and energy announcing that Jesus was alive again and that he'd appeared to them And they were urging people to turn to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. This message grew and spread. It spread across Turkey. It spread across Greece, right through the Roman Empire. A very interesting story it is, and we could dwell on that story. But today I thought I'd just focus on a few centuries in the Middle Ages when parishes rolled out across Europe. 
It's a remarkable fact, isn't it, that across Europe, across England, Ireland, there is a church in just about every village, in every place. It's something that we take for granted, isn't it? But have you ever thought about this? That the churches weren't always there. Christianity took root in the cities first and then the bishops went out into the countryside and they were preaching the gospel and they would establish churches in the bigger towns and at first these churches were more like mission stations. They were a base for the mission into the countryside. And there's a good vision for us, isn't it, here in Randwick, that we're a mission station for the mission into Randwick. Often the local noblemen who owned the land around, uh, they would build what was called an oratory, which was basically a church building for his estate, where the, the people from the estate, the serfs, the servants and the workers could come and hear the word of God. Eventually there was a church in just about every town and certain visionary leaders came up with the idea that you could divide all of Europe into parishes with a, a parson or a minister who would be responsible for the cure of the souls in the parish. Now, in, in Europe and in the UK, these parishes also had important secular functions, like they would, they would often have to look after the roads and the bridges in the local area. And in some ways, the parishes were also cradles of democracy, because in the early days, there was the tendency for the local lord to try to dominate the church. In fact, it's always been a battle, hasn't it? Uh, but the church established democratically elected parish councils who would put the people in charge of the church. Now, of course, when Australia was settled by Europeans, they brought with them this instinct that there ought to be a parish church in every town. Everywhere we settled, we built churches. Even today, we're still doing it as we as a diocese acquire land for churches in those new suburbs that are opening up. Don't you think it's remarkable? It's a remarkable, if partial, fulfilment of the prophecy that God would have worshippers in every place. Now, of course, the parish church system is vastly, vastly imperfect. Pagan practices held on in... Uh, for centuries in these European parishes after the gospel had come, the, the gospel of the Lord, the, the Kyrios uh, in Greek, from whom we get the word church, the Lord, well, the gospel varied really in how much prominence it was given in these churches. Today, probably only a minority of all these parish churches preach the true gospel. Many haven't preached it for centuries. Uh, many might have come full circle back to the days of Malachi and they're sniffing contemptuously at the worship of God. And that's not to mention that there are so many places yet in the world, especially in Asia and Africa, where there aren't parish churches in every place. But in spite of all these deep faults, don't you think that there is something energizing and something glorifying to God about the fact that these parish churches built for the worship of God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, are dotted all over the globe and in, many, in some continents, you could say, pretty much in every place. One thing that many parishes need to do in order to regain a sense of 
original mission, and I think this can help us, is to become acquainted with the surprising origin of the word parish. We tend to think of the parish as a place and that the parish church is a, an institution that's really deeply woven into each place, each village. But the word parish comes from another Greek word which is used in the New Testament and it means resident aliens. It means the sojourners, it means the strangers. It's the idea that the Christian congregation, they're just the people who are passing through this world on their way to their true home in heaven. Just like Abraham, who was an alien and a stranger in the land that he had been promised, he never owned any of that land except for a burial plot. The parish is the congregation of people who were just passing through, stopping off in Randwick for a time, on our way to the home that God has promised us and purchased for us with the blood of his son. When the parish church stays true to its mission of being that staging post, that stopping off place for the pilgrims on their way to their heavenly home, well, that's when we're a true parish church. I feel so grateful to God that I grew up in a suburb where I could walk into the local church and it was a place where I'd be taught the truth about Jesus Christ and about the way to be saved. Now, in a way, it shouldn't be too much to ask should it, to be taught the truth. But it's a blessing that not everybody has received. And I feel incredibly grateful that my parish church in Carlingford, another vastly imperfect church, by the way, but was true to its mission of being that staging post for pilgrims. Because you see, the time is coming soon when all the pilgrims will be home. Pilgrims from every nation and tribe and language and people and the place of worship will be the heavenly sanctuary itself where all the saints in our white robes, it won't just be me wearing a white robe, will be gathered around the throne in praise to the God who saved us. And the music will be even better than what comes out of our organ here at St. Jude's. People who are there, it says, are the ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So as I finish, can I ask you a few things? First of all, have you accepted the invitation to be one of the worshippers that the Father seeks? Have you heard that invitation? And have you said to the Father, yes, Lord, I'm glad you're seeking worshippers and if it's okay... I'd like to be one of them. I'd like my robes to be washed in the blood of the Lamb and I'd like to be one of those people that walks through this life as a pilgrim on my way to gathering for worship around your heavenly throne. Second, if you've accepted that invitation, then I just want to urge us all to be the parishioners, to be gathering here each week and using this place as the staging post on our journey to that heavenly home. I think that the parish church should be and can be deeply woven into the fabric of the local community as we reach out to bless our community in whatever way we can. 
But it should still be known that we are the parishioners, the resident aliens, the ones who are just passing through. What would it what difference would it make to your life if you if you were really striving to be that that pilgrim, that person who is just passing through? For a start, we'd be deeply committed to the weekly gathering here of the pilgrims, wouldn't we? Finally, I was going to say much more on this today, but there isn't time. Any parish church needs to do this. It needs to pass the message on to the next generation. Psalm 78 verse 3. What we have heard and known, we will not hide from the children. What a terrible thing that would be to hide from the children the message that the Father is seeking worshippers and that he sent his Son to gather us in. Well, the Lord deliver us from being the ones who hide the message from the next generation. Shall we pray? Our Father, we are so grateful to you that your son told that woman at that well 2,000 years ago that you are seeking worshippers. We thank you that you have made the way for us to be your worshippers through the purifying death of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that the, the, the prophecy that you would be worshipped in every place is on the way to being fulfilled, if in a very imperfect way. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we might be those parishioners, those ones who are passing through, blessing our local community as we walk our way to the heavenly home which you have won for us.